This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. Boy, oh boy. Another New England Patriots Super Bowl. Ugh. What are you going to do? Anyway, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to episode 91 of the Moranalytics podcast. Today is Tuesday, February 5th. 2019. I am Patrick Moran. Coming up on today's show, I'll be joined by ESPN Buffalo Bills beat reporter Mike Rodak. This is actually Mike's second guest spot on this podcast. I had him back on episode 25 late last May. That was a fun chat, more casual chat. We spent the hour getting to know Mike, his upbringing, his education, his career, his takes on lots of things, all kinds of fun stuff. Like I said, that was a little more casual, Where today's more businessy. Today we're talking about that New England Patriots dynasty, and like it or not, what a dynasty it is. Nine Super Bowl appearances, 18 years, and now six rings after Sunday. We talk about their place among the all-time great sports dynasties ever. Not just football, all sports. We talk about how Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, they just adapt to any personnel, whether it's their own personnel or the defenses that they're facing. It's just unbelievable, man. And here's the thing, Bills fans especially, or just fans of all the rest of the teams in the NFL who aren't New England fans, this team's built to not go anywhere anytime soon. They're still really good. They got a lot of draft picks coming up. Their first round draft pick last year didn't even play. Tom Brady, still Tom Brady. Bill Belichick, still Bill Belichick. Had a great team. They're not going away anytime soon. So we talk about that. And by the way, Mike also gives his opinion on if we've seen the last of Gronk. So that's a good interview with Mike. Really looking forward to bringing that to you. Immediately after that, I got my man Tone Pucks back in the house for another installment of Pat with Pucks. We have thoughts on the Super Bowl and the 2018 NFL season as a whole. Before we jump into a conversation about the Buffalo Sabres, we also, and don't ask me how it happened, but somehow we ended up working Patty LaBelle, Human League, and Culture Club into this segment. <laughs> Again, I don't know how it happened, but whatever. Good stuff. Pretty packed episode here, so not going to waste any more time at the top. Let's just dive right into today's podcast. Here's my interview with Mike Rodek of ESPN. Followed by some Pat with Pucks. Okay, my guest today is the ESPN beat reporter for the Buffalo Bills. 
He just finished his sixth season covering the team. We're going to talk a little Buffalo Bills, a little New England Patriots, a little Super Bowl, and a few other things as well. Of course, I am talking about Mike Rodak. What's going on, Mike? How you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure's definitely all mine. I did have you back, what was it, last May I had you on. I think it was all the way back in episode 25. That was a good episode for people out there listening who didn't hear it. Told, kind of told your story growing up, your whole career. Good listen. I'll tell you what, too, man. We had this discussion back in May. I think when you first came over and started covering the Bills, had a lot of heat from fans because they just assumed that you're a New England Patriots fan and that's how you're going to cover the team and that you just hate the Bills. But six seasons later, man, I think you've established yourself as just a credible reporter who tells it like it is and you don't play favorites one way or the other. Yeah, yeah, I'd hope so. I mean, that's that's always been my goal, you know, the entire time. I think one of the big differences that we've seen going from 2013 when I started covering the Bills to now is that I think the team is just more confident. I mean, they're, they're better uh, than they were in, in 2013. Granted, their record was the same uh, this season, but I, I think we can all sense that they are, are doing a better job of figuring things out from an organizational standpoint where you go from, well, Doug Whaley at the time at, at GM and Doug Marone to, I think, a much more sound structure what they have now with Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. So naturally, I think some of the, you know, the criticism of the team has lessened, you know, from me and from the entire Buffalo media core, just because they've, they figured things out. So, um, you know, if I was harsh back then, I, I hope it was, you know, it was seen as deserved. And I think a lot of people now realize that there are issues with, with how the team was run back then. And, and naturally a lot of those questions aren't, aren't true anymore. So, um, there's less of that from me. And I think that's a good thing for Bills fans. Yeah, no doubt about it. We'll talk about the Bills in a few minutes. Before that, though, I mean, we'll talk about the game a little bit, but I think it's fair to ask you this question. Are we seeing the greatest dynasty ever right now? If not for at least football, maybe all of sports, period, because, you know, this is a team now, the New England Patriots, of course, I'm talking about nine Super Bowls in 18 years and now six rings. I think that's a fair question to ask. Is this the greatest dynasty maybe in sports ever? I think it might be. I mean, the one that comes to mind that might rival it is the the Celtics of um, you know the, the late fifties and, and sixties, where I don't have the exact number, but Bill Russell um, and what they were able to do with Red Auerbach. I mean, for such a sustained period of time, that was pretty remarkable. Granted, that was back in the early days of the NBA, and um, you know, I, I don't think there was much of a salary cap or any you know the the structures that the NFL has in place these days for parity probably didn't exist in the NBA 50 years ago, 60 years ago. Um, but what they were, what they were able to do over an extended period of time comes to mind. Um, and obviously the Yankees probably of, of the same uh, period, uh, even going back even before then. I mean, you look at different sports, there's a, there's teams that even if they're not winning, like the Patriots have three out of five, I think for years and decades, they've been able to put good teams on the field or on the ice or on the court. The Patriots are just getting to the point where it's it's longer than even the longest ones in other sports where, I mean, we're talking 18 years. We can all think where we were 18 years ago when this started for, for the Patriots. I mean, our lives have changed dramatically in pretty much everyone's case, except for Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, yeah. because they're <laughs> they're still doing what they were doing. Um, so that's, that's the remarkable part in the fact that it seems like it, it can continue for 
at least a few more years, it, it certainly seems so, um, is pretty amazing. Uh, I, I, I just don't think, you know, there is a, a rival, um, obviously in the NFL lore and, and across other sports. Yeah, I think it's fair to say they're, they're the greatest dynasty. Why do you think that the New England Patriots dynasty that they've built, that it's not revered nationally like some of these other great dynasties throughout the history of sport? Like, for an example, you talk about the Chicago Bulls of the 90s. They won six NBA titles. It felt like everyone on earth was a Chicago Bulls fan, you know, walking around with their starter jacket, stuff like that. Or you want to talk about hockey in the early 80s. Everybody seemed to love the Edmonton Oilers. They won four Stanley Cups. They were dominant. Everyone loved them. Or even baseball, well, <laughs> I was going to say everyone, because not true, because Boston Red Sox fans hated it, but the New York Yankees of the late 90s, they were dominant, they had this charisma to them, and everyone seemed to be drawn to them. There were so many Yankee fans back then. It was like, all right, sure, those rivals, you know, the cities that were rivals hated them, but everyone else seemed to love those teams that I talked about, where with the Patriots, it's like, unless you're a diehard Patriots fan, if you live outside of Foxborough, it feels like all fans hate the Patriots. Why do you think that is? Jealousy? That's a good question. Yeah, that's, it's a good question. I I, I wonder myself, and I, I've posed the, the same question myself on certain platforms. And um, yeah, I, I think the, you know, the, the history with Spygate probably doesn't fall too much in their favor. Deflategate to a lesser extent. Um, I, I think the fact that they have that on their record, whether it was justified or not, I think the Deflategate probably has a better case where the Patriots would say we got hammered where we shouldn't have been. I think Spygate, they appropriately got punished. Uh, but between those two, I think people do put um, a level of, of skepticism towards them. And, you know, I think the Patriots have done a good job of proving that even years and years after that, they're still good. And, and it's not their success is not a product of, of what they were doing in, in those two cases. So, Hopefully, you know, for their for their sake, for the Patriots sake, that people can look past that and and realize that uh, the longevity of this, as we just discussed, is pretty amazing. And, you know, that we're witnessing something that we might not see again in our lifetimes. It's like LeBron James or they can mention Michael Jordan. But currently, you know, the Golden State Warriors, what they've been doing now for five, six years what Tiger Woods used to do in golf. And now he's doing it again when he comes back and he, he wins the last tournament of this past season. You know, people don't like Tiger Woods. People don't like LeBron James. Personally, I do. Like, I, I enjoy watching that because I know we're not going to see that again or we may not see it for, for a long time. Uh, that's the way I feel when you watch Tom Brady is, you know, if he retires, let's say after next year, um, we're going to miss him. I think we're going to miss watching, you know, the greatest of all time, the same way when Peyton Manning retired and next season, Peyton Manning's not on the field. There's a certain strangeness to that. Uh, just knowing that he was so good for so long. Uh, I think it's one of those things, or maybe fans across the country may not, you know, appreciate it until it's over. And until, you know, we're watching, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, a Bengals, you know, Seahawks Super Bowl, and we're saying, man, this game sucks, and there's no star power. Well, you just had star power for for all these years with the Patriots. So, you know, maybe it's a case of you don't realize or appreciate something until it's gone. You know what? That's a really good point. Going back to 
like the late 80s, early 90s with the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins. Fans hated Dan Marino. What a great rivalry it was when Buffalo and Miami would play Jim Kelly against Dan Marino. And at the time, you kind of took it for granted. You know, that rivalry would go on forever. You have someone to hate, then he's gone. And then, you know, eventually Jim Kelly's gone and, and it's just not the same anymore. So yeah, I think a lot of people right now, they got so much hate for this team, but there's, I think there's going to come a day where people look back and really appreciate Again, and this is tough for, you know, I am, you're an unbiased reporter. I'm not. I'm a Buffalo guy. You know what I mean? And so it it hurts sometimes to, to respect the Patriots and admit just how great this team is. But I think someday when you look back and I'm talking to my son when he's older or my grandkids someday to say that, you know, I watched Tom Brady play and I watched this dynasty unfold. I think it's something that's really special and potentially going to be unrivaled, at least in football ever again. Well, think about the biggest games every season for the Bills. I mean, the games where people are going to tailgate the hardest and, and get up for the game the hardest are always the Patriots games. And yeah. there's a certain atmosphere and um, feeling around those games that's just different. And if it's, you know, whoever is the next starting quarterback of, of the Patriots, we have no idea who it will be. But, you know, probably isn't going to generate the same sort of feeling walking into stadium on a Sunday than than it does now for Bills fans. And um, that's a loss, I think, obviously for the Bills, but at the same time, if they can overtake, you know, the division and and become the next team that uh, can win fairly consistently, then obviously, you know, fans will still be there at the games, but um, the feeling and and the, um, the excitement of that, that Patriots game will obviously go away. Sure. Now we talk about Tom Brady all the time. He's the greatest. I don't think <laughs> I don't think anyone could dispute that before this run and now especially afterwards. But I almost feel like on this run by the Patriots, he was almost like a supporting actor in this run. I looked at the stats. He only had two touchdowns and three interceptions in three playoff games. It was the defense. They were absolutely phenomenal against the Rams. And they shut down Kansas City, at least in the first half of that game, two on the road. You know, Julian Edelman wins MVP. The defense was great. Stephon Gilmore, had, you could have made a really strong case that he could have won MVP too. Almost felt like, I mean, he gets all the headlines and deserved. Of course, he is the leader out there, but it was almost like he was a bit player in this Super Bowl run, at least a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it was their running game that I, I think really powered them. Naturally, you know, the Rams did a good job of, of stopping it, I think, early in the game. And the Patriots did have to go to the pass for a while until they got that lead, which, you know, in which case they went back to the running game. But overall, in the playoffs late in the season, it was what they were able to do with Sony Michelle and with James White uh, out of the backfield as a receiver as well. Rex Burkhead had a couple of um, you know big plays in the Super Bowl and also the touchdown in the AFC Championship. Um, you know, they were they were much more of an old school football team than than what we're used to seeing out of them. That's that's probably more, I think, a a function of their personnel than it was Brady and any possible erosion of his skills. I I think it's just a case of they had a better offensive line and backfield and tight ends equipped to run the ball than they did a group of receivers to be able to throw the ball and have that open passing game like they did in 2007, for instance, losing Josh Gordon, you know, naturally um, hurt them there. I think Chris Hogan has really fallen off for them. He, didn't really do much for them in his Super Bowl. And then it's just Brady and Edelman. If Edelman's doubled or, or not open for, for a different reason, then there's really nothing else for him to go to in that passing game. Uh, so I, I don't know if it was Brady, you know, not being as good as it was just the Patriots knew they could run the ball. I'm talking over the course of week 16 through the Super mm-hmm. Bowl. 
and that's what they stuck with and it worked for them. So, I mean, good on them for, for kind of zigging when everybody else was zagging because you think people were being criticized a couple of years ago for drafting running backs in the first round and for making that a priority. Well, look at the two teams that just made the Super Bowl. Granted, Gurley didn't do much for the Rams, but he was a high pick. And then the Patriots used a first round pick on Michelle as well. Yeah, I think when you're able to, if you're able to remove the emotion from it all, especially if you hate the Patriots, like I said, like most Buffalo Bills fans, understandably so, by the way. But if you could do that, you really are able to draw a sense of admiration and respect for this team in just the various ways that they've won throughout the years. They've won where Tom Brady's slinging the ball 50 times a game. They've won Super Bowls where they're running the ball 30, 35 times a game. They've won Super Bowls where the defense was absolutely dominant. Such was the case this year. And then they've won Super Bowls where the defense kind of sucked and the offense had to bail them out and they won in shootouts. They've won all different types of ways. It seems like Bill Belichick, no matter what type of personnel he has on his roster, he's able to get the best out of it. He just makes in-game decisions and game plans that just seem to be, for me anyway, unrivaled by anyone else. And that's what in my mind anyway, and I'm sure most other people as well, it makes him the undisputed greatest football coach who's ever lived. Yeah, and, and you have the combination of of Brady leading the offense and then Belichick leading the defense, uh, essentially. I mean, I don't want to take credit away from Brian Flores. Obviously, he's, he's a big part of what they did down the stretch. But when you're Bill Belichick and you know that McDaniels and Brady have the offense figured out, then you can focus on the defense. You can focus on stopping young quarterbacks like Mahomes and Goff, which he did exceptionally well, and even Phillip Rivers before then, and just staying a step ahead. I mean, he he's a football historian. He knows every step of football along the way, every innovation that teams have made, every you know O to, to combat an X, uh, every thing that he needs to do to stop a quarterback he's seen before in the NFL, and he knows what to do. So. Um, that, that was evident in the Super Bowl where they were clearly a step ahead of Jared Goff from, from start to finish of that game. And like you said, it, the defense was really, was really dominating. Um, and it's, it's, it's hard to win when you're a 33 year old coach like Sean McVay, who hasn't seen nearly as much football as Bill Belichick has at age 66. You think it's a little bit extra special for Brady at 41 years old, not just to win a Super Bowl, obviously that's special in itself, but to do it by beating Mahomes one game and then Jared Goff the next. The two guys are probably perceived as the two best young quarterbacks in the NFL right now. The old guy slays the young ones. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There definitely seemed to be that feeling from Brady where, I mean, he, the Patriots obviously use that that line a lot. That everybody has counted this out. We're underdogs. I know there's been a lot of backlash to that. I think it, it's hyperbole on the Patriots part. Obviously. Everybody has not counted them out. Some people, I think, did at some points of this season. And and that's important to remember because before that Chargers game, when they were dominant in that game and before the Chiefs game, I mean, you go back to the, the Steelers loss they had and, and the Miami loss they had in December. I mean, people were, to some extent, counting them out and, right. and saying that uh, Tom Brady was showing his age and, and Rob Gronkowski was showing his age. Rex Ryan on TV saying it was, it was like, um, Gronk had a, a piano on his back when he was running around out there. And I think a lot of people were looking at the Mahomes and, and golf teams as potentially being the favorites. In fact, if you go back and look at the odds 
before the Super Bowl, when you entered the playoffs, I think it was the Chiefs, maybe the Saints, and also the Rams who were ahead of uh, the Patriots in, in terms of odds to win. So there was that element of maybe they can't do it anymore like they once did, but Brady feeds off of that. And everybody talks about, well, why doesn't he just retire after he wins another one? I, I think it's the very fact that he wins and he can still do it that fuels him to, to go out there again the next year. So that's, you know, that, that seems to bring him up a lot more and make him want to play winning a Super Bowl does like compared to what he did last year, for instance, against the Eagles, where he goes out, he puts it all on the line the entire season. He has a great game, but he still loses. I think he thought more about retirement after a game like that than he would after a, a game like this, even though there is that idea that why doesn't he just go out on top? Speaking of retirement, we'll probably know in a couple of weeks. He hasn't said one way or the other, but what does your gut tell you? Do you think we just saw Gronk play his last game? No, I, I, I think the same might hold true for him where he was healthier in the Super Bowl than he was the entire year. We did hear about a couple injuries that he had, you know, with the Achilles and obviously the back, which we knew about, you know, the entire year where he was having some back issues again. And I mean, like Rex said, he, he didn't look like himself running around for most of the year, but he did in this game and making that catch against two or even three defenders down near the goal line in the Super Bowl is the sort of play that we all remember Gronk making four or five, six years ago. So it might be the same thing that holds true for him where he's proving that he can still do it. Um, and it, it seems like the Patriots organizationally did a much better job this year of, of getting along. And um, I guess having fun would probably be the best way of putting it. And that's, that's what really seemed to have Gronk down at this point last year was the negativity around the organization that they weren't having fun. Um, you know, that things weren't heading in the right direction and that's what seemed to put him towards retirement more than any sort of physical erosion. So now that they are having fun again, and now that physically he is better, I think we will see him play another year. Okay. One more thing. And then I want to get to a couple of bills items. You mentioned this earlier when we were talking, and this is the worst thing if you're a Buffalo Bills fan or basically a fan of anyone besides New England. New England's not going anywhere anytime soon. I mean, besides being the Super Bowl champions again, they have, I'm looking this up now, they have like five picks in the top 100. Their first round pick from last year didn't even play. Isaiah Wynn, he's coming off an Achilles injury. He's a really good lineman. And they still play in the AFC East, man. And, and until... Buffalo, Miami, or the Jets prove otherwise, it's a chump division. It's a cakewalk for them. So they're not going anywhere anytime soon. No, yeah, I would agree that there's just not enough. I mean, the Dolphins have already sort of put up the white flag for next year, and they'll get rid of Ryan Tannehill. They'll bring in some low-cost veteran, probably Joe Flacco or Tyrod Taylor, one of those guys, and kind of meander through this season and look towards the draft next year. And the Bills and the Jets, you know, maybe they found their quarterbacks. Maybe they haven't. I think, you know, it's still going to take another year or two uh, of those guys starting Allen and Darnold for us to figure out a better answer on them. Um, but I think there's still too many pieces away for both teams where they can really compete with the Patriots unless there's some sort of major injury to New England. So assuming that the Patriots keep together their core, which is still Belichick, Brady, you know, Edelman maybe Gronk and they add to it with what you said They have, you know, the younger guys that they've drafted the last couple of years and Michelle, 
uh, Isaiah Wynn and some guys on defense as well. JC Jackson was undrafted and played really well at corner for them this year. And then they add, like you mentioned in the, in the draft this year. Well, I mean, they're still going to be by far the favorites in this division, at least for next year and probably beyond that as well. Let's turn our attention to a couple of Buffalo Bills items here. I think it's pretty clear that Charles Clay is going to get cut pretty soon. The Bills could save four and a half million by cutting him. Do you see any other veterans right now that are on this roster that may find themselves looking for a new team between, say, now, now that the NFL season's over and when free agency starts again in about six weeks? I think it's like March 13th. Probably not anybody, um, you know, from a big name standpoint. And a lot of that's just because they're in a much different salary cap situation than they have been in years past. And, you know, I, obviously salary cap will play some sort of a role with Charles Clay. They will save four and a half million by cutting him. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just the idea that he's sort of run his course with this team. By the end of the year, it's clear that he didn't really have it anymore, whether it's his knees or just the fact that he's 30. Um, he, he's clearly not what he was for the Dolphins before the Bills signed him three, four years ago now. Um, and, and they'll just move in a different direction there. Honestly, I think the same is probably true for LaShawn McCoy. Same age. He's 30, going to be 31 next year. The salary doesn't really mean anything given where they are with the cap. But at some point, you just got to say, doesn't have it anymore. And if he goes somewhere else and he has another good year and then tails off after that, then oh, well, you know, that's that's the risk we take. If you're the Bills, why not try to find a next running back and start putting him in the lineup and, and getting him familiar with Josh Allen and getting that offense moving in a different direction. There does seem to be a strange loyalty that the Bills have to LaShawn McCoy. Not sure exactly why. They're putting a lot of blame on the offensive line for his struggles last year, which is certainly true. I mean, that's that played a pretty big role, but he's not getting any younger. Um, he obviously has question marks off the field that potentially, you know, could not reflect well on him and on the team if, if things go south there. And overall, your backfield is old. I mean, you have not only LaShawn McCoy, but you're all, you have another 30-year-old, 31-year-old and Chris Ivory. Your youngest back who played significantly last year was Marcus Murphy, and he's 27, going on 28. So um, they need to get younger. And I think it's it's smarter to do that now than wait a year and draft somebody in 2020. I was going to ask you that about LaShawn McCoy because it kind of reminds me a little bit of last year, different circumstances, but we heard Brandon Bean say at the time that they were going to keep Tyrod Taylor, that he was part of the plans, blah, blah, blah. And then they ended up trading him to Cleveland. And with LaShawn McCoy, Brandon Bean pretty much stated, not pretty much, he did state that Shady's going to be part of the team's plans for 2019. Do you still think, despite those comments, given his age and all the other stuff, that there's a chance that they're looking to see if they can maybe trade him and try to get something for him? And if they can't, then maybe they cut him. Ditto for Chris Ivory, by the way, who's another guy who's getting up there in age. I think he's going to be 30 or 31 years old. The Bills could save over $2 million by cutting him. It's a position that maybe they want to get younger at, draft free agency, whatever. Do you think that LaShawn McCoy could get dealt? Yeah, I, I don't know how much trade value there is left for LaShawn McCoy at this point. I think it was probably higher at midseason last year and he had teams sure. trying to scrap and claw and make the playoffs that, you know, were or felt that they were a couple pieces away. 
maybe the Eagles uh, in that case. But at this point, it's like if you're planning for next season and if you're a team looking at LaShawn McCoy, you're really going to pay him, you know, the the $6 million in salary that it's going to take just to take a flyer on him and give up the draft pick. I mean, right. I, I don't know if, if another team would do that. I, I think personally that if you're the other team, you're just waiting for him to get cut. If sure. he gets cut, you sign him for two or three million and it's not guaranteed and you just kind of figure things out from there. So I, I do think there is a certain level of, of, of the bills being genuine and saying they want to keep him or they are keeping him next year compared to what I think was a little bit more obvious with Tyrod Taylor, which was them trying to trade him. And the other thing is this, if you're the bills and you have a player like LaShawn McCoy, he's probably making more in salary than he should be next year. Why not try to do what they did with Richie Incognito, which was kind of play the game that we might cut you unless you take a pay cut. And they ended up getting Incognito to take the pay cut before he retired. Why not play the game if you're the Bills and say, yeah, we're not sure if we're going to keep you, but if you're going to come back for $3 million, maybe we will. And they don't seem to be doing that at all. Um, so that's that's a little strange. I, I do think, again, that they, they view it as a situation where the money really doesn't matter because of their salary cap situation, but things could still get tight. If they go out and sign a couple of free agents for big money and you know your salary cap space starts to dwindle and you're talking about carrying over space in the 2020, then every dollar counts. And I don't think you should be paying LaShawn McCoy $8 million if you don't have to be. I agree. And you know whether it's LaShawn McCoy or they go get Le'Veon Bell or they go draft the next Saquon Barkley, at the end of the day, you got to improve the offensive line because it was horrible last year. And you look at this line, Okay, Bodine is a guy, and Ducasse, those are two guys that are making, or they could save, I should say, over $2 million each just by getting rid of them, which could happen. And then you look at the guys who are free agents. Jordan Mills, John Miller, Ryan Groy, they're all unrestricted free agents. That's three-fifths of your opening day starting offensive line. Do you think the Bills are going to even try to bring any of those guys back? If so, who? I, yeah, I would doubt it. I think Miller would have the best chance because I think he played the best out of those three. I, I think Mills is probably more of a guy you'd look to replace in the draft. Um, if you're looking at drafting a young tackle early in the draft, more than you probably would a guard. Um, and then, you know, Dukas and and uh, Bodine, I think those are both situations where they could certainly save some money, but there's also not a huge risk involved in just keeping them through training camp and then saying at the end of camp, yeah, we don't want to keep you anymore. We think we found, you know, the, the next – stepped and the answer here at that position and then they could cut those guys without any real financial difference between um cutting them now if that makes any sense like they could wait until august or september to make that decision and the money would still be the same so i think it's possible those guys just stick around just as camp bodies more or less and then they they let miller and mills and groy walk and they go out and find some other guys for those spots now, with the offensive line, it's obvious that they're going to go on and they're going to spend some money, probably significant money in free agency. It's far too early to start getting into that, well, the Bills are going to look at this guy and that guy, because, you know, that's still more than a month away. But, you know, one position that I feel like could be a big priority is center. It's not that Eric Wood was the greatest center in the world, but he was solid and they just, it was just a real position of weakness this past year. 
And you look at the market, and like I said, Bodine might get cut, and Groy's a free agent. Who knows if either of them are back? That's a position Matt Paradis from Denver and Mitch Morris from Kansas City, two really good established centers out there. Could you see the Bills taking a run and saying, we're going to invest a lot of money at center. Let's get a really good guy in front of Josh Allen and whoever's going to be the running back. That That's a position that they should spend a good chunk of money on. Yeah, I think it almost makes too much sense where they have the money. There are, I think, higher tier free agents available at that spot than there are, let's say, at wide receiver or tight end or even at, at guard. Like, there are good centers out there on the market this offseason, which you don't get a whole lot. Are you going to have to pay them pretty well? Yeah, but I think there have been a lot of signals from the Bills that they they want a veteran in that role starting at center to kind of anchor that line and then have maybe younger guys on either side of him rather than going out and signing a guard and then, and then drafting a center and having the center learn on the job. You know, it's the same. Like, you got to keep in mind, Josh Allen is, is going to be entering his second year. This is the third year now. For Sean McDermott, the the second full year for Brandon Bean, given the draft and, and the situation for him, so it's not like they have endless time. It's not like they can trot out Robert Foster and Isaiah McKenzie next year, draft a center, and have Josh Allen out there and go five and eleven, six and ten again, and just talk about growth and you know, we're developing these young guys. That's not going to work again. Right. I think they, they do have a sense of urgency where we got to take a step forward next year as young as we are, and, and we got to show something. So if you have a veteran center in there, then that sort of brings you along a little bit faster. And I, I do think that's probably the direction they'll go. One more Bills question, and then we'll wind down here. Wide receiver is going to be a position they're going to look to upgrade. Maybe free agency, maybe a trade, maybe a draft. Who knows? The offensive line, we've already talked about that. That's a definite. There's other positions. But I feel like one position on this team that people should not sleep on, whether it comes through free agency or especially the draft, maybe even that ninth pick of the draft might be defensive end. Because, I mean, you have what Jerry Hughes is going into his last year. Shaq Lawson is going into his last year, although they could also give him that fifth year option. Who knows if Trent Murphy, what you're going to get from him, if he can stay healthy for a full year. That could be a position where the Bills might spend a big resource, maybe not money-wise in free agency, but a high pick in the draft. Go get yourself another nice edge rusher. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. That's honestly what I was going to say myself is, I mean, it's it's there's a good setup here, either in the draft or in free agency to get to that spot where you have a more established or a, um, I guess, a more ferocious pass rush than what you did last year. Because look at free agency. You have Jadavion Clowney. You have Demarcus Lawrence. You have some other guys out there that if you do want to spend the money, you, you could bring those guys up here. And then you know, look at the draft. I mean, everybody thinks of this as a, a very defensive, heavy draft at the top um, where there could be you know six or seven defensive linemen that go in the top 10. And, and one of those guys could slip down to the bills at nine. And I would absolutely agree. That's it's an underrated area where as good as Jerry Hughes has been, he's still not a, um, a game wrecking defensive end, a game-changing defensive end who's going to make play after play and command um, double teams and, and and be a force when the game is on the line. He's a very good player, but he's not quite at that level. And like you said, he is in the last year of his deal. He's 30 years old. And I don't know if if that really, that entire situation warrants an extension 
out of him quite yet or for him quite yet. And then Shaq Lawson, as much as he came along this past year, I don't know if he's ever really going to be that great of a pass rusher. He's a, he's a decent pass rusher here and there, and he's pretty good against the run. But I don't think that's worth what the fifth-year option is going to be for him, which is north of $10 million at least. Um, and then, like you said, Trent Murphy, same situation. I mean, he's not didn't really show much and has the injury issues as well that cropped up the entire season. So as much as on paper that position looks good, things could change very quickly and they would be smart to take advantage of some of the resources that they have this offseason, whether it be through free agency or in the draft. Before I let you go, I got to ask you, you're a regular co-host now with Tim Graham on the Tim Graham Show, Wednesday afternoons, 1270 The Fan. What's it like doing that show with Tim? Is that something you enjoy doing, radio? Yeah, you know, it, it's different. I never really did radio until I started doing that show with him uh, more than two years ago now. And it's fun. I mean, it, it's it's a different vibe having to, you know, sit there for two hours and it, it's constant um, either debate or you're interviewing somebody. And it's a lot of um, kind of thinking on your feet as you go for a couple hours. But, you know, as opposed to sitting down and writing where it's more you know, you're looking at your writing, you're rereading it, and then you're posting it. It's more on the fly. And I, I do enjoy that. So um, hopefully we can continue it. I know, you know, right now the plan is just to go through this week as far as, you know, the end of football season. But hopefully we have a chance to uh, continue through the off season as well. All right. Last question here. With the 2018 NFL season over, the following teams are still seeking their first Super Bowl win. Bengals, Bills, Browns, Cardinals, Chargers, Falcons, Jaguars, Lions, Panthers, Texans, Titans, and Vikings. Who's most likely to end that skid next season? I would say the Falcons. And they've always been a, tre- a team that has really intrigued me the last couple of years because they have their franchise quarterback. And they've had him for a while. and They've made deep runs with him. He's been an MVP in Matt Ryan. So just by default, they have what a lot of teams have spent years and decades looking for. And they have what a lot of teams believe should put you in position to win. I think the Chargers also will be in the same category. And those are the teams that you would expect um, you know, to, to do pretty well. And I think there's other pieces in place in Atlanta. They had some injuries on defense this year that really hurt them. But they're a team that, you know, if they go... 12 and four next year, that one had shocked me. And it was weird to me that they were as bad as they were at, at points this year. I do think they were a lot better than what they showed. All right, folks, follow Mike on Twitter for all your Buffalo Bills news at Mike Rodak. And of course, check out his work at ESPN.com. Thanks a lot, Mike. Great job covering the team again this season. Six seasons in. You're doing awesome, man. Great job. Thanks for having me on. Pat with Pucks. Are you a big man? Pop! I'm talking to you! What? You wake up in the morning, you say, I put on my big boy pants! Look, I'm wearing a belt! I got big boy pants on! <laughs> oh my god, that is funny! Okay, do not worry, all of your questions are about to be answered. Cell phones and pagers off, please. All right, I got Tone Pucks, Pat with Pucks. 
the game aside, which we'll at least hit on that. First of all, are you happy or mad with your bookie right now? How'd you do yesterday? Did you gamble at all? Yeah, um, I'm I'm somewhere in between. I, I took the pass because uh, I was able to get it at two and a half. So I don't know that half uh, mattered enough to me. So uh, I did a little bit there, and then uh, <laughs> and I parlayed them with the overs. So you know I had that shit. <laughs> I split. I went fifty fifty. I bet two things. I bet the under, which was fun for me because it was pretty much a lock by halftime that that was going to hit. But I, and then I also, which came down to the fourth quarter drama here. I also had Robert Woods going over. 82 and a half yards receiving. He didn't. He ended up with 70. So I lost that. So I split. So I actually lost a couple bucks. No big deal. Where'd but. you where where'd you make the prop play? FanDuel. Oh, that's right. You can do it in Florida. What the fuck am I thinking? I should absolutely <laughs> be having an account through you with them. <laughs> yeah, like I, did. I do on I forgot I had a bunch of little uh five dollar uh prop bets too. That I haven't even looked up yet. I I, I know. Oh man, I, I think Sony McHale to have the most yards uh, rushing. I think was a winner. Brady to win the MVP was a loser. But yeah, all in all, you know the the real loser was was the fans in my book, man. Um, yeah. Not to put a corny cliche out there, but you know, minus Trey Wingo's little rant this morning about. Uh, how angry he is at people who found the game boring, you know, fuck him. Um, it was pretty boring. Was I was going to ask you that. I don't want to, I've already talked about the Super Bowl with Mike Rodak, so I don't want to deep dive too much into the actual game itself, but I wanted to get your thoughts and I kind of think you let it on there already. Are you as annoyed and displeased with this game as most people seem to be? Well, no, uh, you know, uh, finding a game boring versus being annoyed and, and, and displeased by it to me are two different things. I just didn't think it was a great game. Of course, it, it kept my attention because it was close. It was the Super Bowl. And, you know, it, of course it's going to keep a sports fan's attention. So, no, I wasn't really, like, displeased by how boring it was or whatever. I just, uh, it just didn't really move the needle much with me. I watched it. Even the touchdown, it was just it was anticlimactic. I mean, to me, the uh, the the Rams missed field goal at the end was like probably the moment of celebration for the Patriots. Think of how whack that is. All right, like the nail in the coffin of this football game was a missed field goal by the team that then needed with eight seconds left to recover an onside kick and throw a hail mary. It right. was it was so whack, man. It was. So whack. It, it was a, it was a, I guess it depends what your perspective is from an entertainment standpoint. If you like offense, I mean, this was supposed to be a juicy matchup. You know, the over under was 56 and a half from that aspect, totally boring, but I know you like drama. It was a one score game for what? 59 or 58 and a half minutes until, uh, you know, New England went up by 10 that to put a nail in it, so to speak. But I mean, you felt as bad as the game was with these offenses being so good, you always felt like something was going to break out at some point, and that kind of kept your attention. You know what I mean? Again, one score game. Shit, it was a field goal game until the last five minutes of uh, of regulation. So in that regards, I don't know if I agree that it was boring, but it was. It, I, I was kind of annoyed with the game. I expected a lot more. I mean, I did bet the under, but that's just because, honestly, 
I went on Twitter on Sunday and I my prediction for the game was I had the Rams winning 30 to 16. So I said, all right, well, I'm going to stay true to that. I'm going to bet the under. I was wrong. I wasn't so much wrong about the Rams defense. I thought they were going to dominate. And and for the most part, I kind of think they did. But what I didn't expect was, you know, New England's defense to play as well as they did. And they dominated Jared Goff, which, you know, I want to ask you that too. I don't want to take credit away from New England. That's easy to do when you're a Bills fan and you just hate the Patriots. But I kind of feel like, for me, and this is my opinion, I feel like the Rams lost that game as much or more than New England won it. I mean, Jared Goff, just absolutely awful. Do you feel like the moment was too big for this kid? Yeah, uh, maybe not the moment. Maybe maybe just, yeah, I think people may have just uh, overestimated how good Jared Goff is. That seems to be uh, some of the buzz this morning is, you know, is this guy $100 million next contract stud quarterback worthy? You know, I, I, I have to still lean in the direction of, Yes, he is. He's a he's got the pedigree of a number one pick, and he had a terrific regular season. But it did seem a little big for him. Um, the stage seemed a little big for him. Or you know, Belichick just uh, just dialed up some old school shit that uh, that the kid hasn't seen yet in year three or uh, or whatever it is. So I don't know if the bigger story today shouldn't be. Where the hell did Todd Gurley go? I mean, we're making this all about uh, about golf today in a lot of circles, and understandably so. He's the quarterback, and you know he's going to have to answer for games like this. But he, to me, anyways, I, I didn't watch a lot of Rams football, but he seemed to, you know, be helped along quite a bit by a very dynamic guy in the backfield who could both run and catch the ball. Uh, as well as anybody in the league, you know, a guy that was a top pick in in fantasy drafts and stuff like that. I think a top point producer in, in fantasy football, and he disappeared in the playoffs. And if the Rams are going to say, and he is going to say that it was not injury related, then someone's got to answer for why he wasn't on the field more. Because when he was on the field, you saw a couple of those cutback runs. That uh, you know, that went for like seven, uh, eight yards, uh, uh, thirteen, I think, on one play that got called back on a cheap hold. He seemed to have a little explosiveness. Why wasn't he in the football game helping this young quarterback out the way that uh, uh, they had meshed together all year long? I, that's just something's got to come out on that. McVay has to answer for that. This at some point. Yeah, sooner or later, something will come up that's newsworthy regarding Todd Gurley and what's went on over this last month or so. So as we put a wrap on this 2018 NFL season, and you look back, for me, man, it just wasn't wasn't a great year for this league. And at least that's just my opinion. I mean, for starters, you could make a case that we shouldn't have even been watching the Rams play on Sunday. They straight up got a gift. The Saints got ripped off in the NFC Championship. Horrible officiating calls throughout a lot of the year. You know, you got arguably the best running back in the NFL, and Le'Veon Bell, he didn't even play a snap this year because he held out. Uh, Of course, the New England Patriots, who are, I'm sure, outside of Foxborough, the most hated team in the NFL, not of all sports at this point, they win the Super Bowl. So lots of shit that kind of sucked this year. I mean, you did have the emergence of some great young quarterbacks with Patrick Mahomes and, and Jared Goff, despite playing like shit on Sunday. Baker Mayfield looks like he's right on that cusp right now. He might be the next big 
league superstar. But all in all, it's like, eh. I mean, like Julian Edelman starting the season being suspended for substance abuse and ended up Super Bowl MVP. That's kind of fitting to me for what kind of felt like a pretty stupid NFL season overall. I don't know. How did you feel? No, I was, you know, it didn't really move the needle for me either. Not that interesting of a season. The two L.A. teams are still playing in, you know, somebody else's barn. And, oh, it's going to happen again next year with with the Raiders. I mean, the NFL is in a is in a transition right now with some of its franchises. And, you know, that disrupts the fan base. It just kind of just the NFL has felt gross. I mean, I still love football, but and I don't mean gross necessarily because you know, teams are relocating, but you know, you don't like to see that for the fan bases. They leave, you know, the Roger Goodell commercials yesterday uh, about social injustice and stuff like that are, are totally gross. There's still a, a player being blackballed from the league for his racial uh, protests. You know, the officiating was bad. That call, it never mattered, you know, because nobody scored or anything, but, that call early in the game yesterday when uh, oh, Roby Coleman on a defenseless receiver. Yeah, terrible. Um, I mean, my God, just after um, one game removed from uh, all the controversy last week, you come in and, and start the game that way. You get the fucking number wrong on a call that never should have been made to begin with. That's awful. And then, and then towards the end of the game, when they had the two penalties on the Patriots, you know, and Romo was properly explaining that neither should be accepted because, you know, the clock will be stopped uh, and they'll have one less down. They never come back onto the mic to explain that one of the penalties was uh, was declined. You know, the Belichick's going batshit crazy. He knows and he knows that McVeigh eventually got it right. But, you know, the expectation is that you know, as, as people that are running the game, that the referee is going to come back and tell everybody that one of those penalties, that both were declined uh, and, and what down it was. And they didn't even do that. They just went straight to second down without announcing that the second penalty was also declined. And it's just, you know, as, as part of a, a, a bigger thing, football is still football. It still gets all of the, uh, you know, it's, it's still the hype machine that it is. But um, if you really want to look deep in some areas, well, you don't really have to look too deep in some areas to find that it is still a very flawed product and it had a very flawed year. Well, NFL is still king and there's no denying that. But I'll tell you what, the NBA is gaining on them. Did you notice? I certainly did. I feel like the NBA kind of dominated for the most part Super Bowl week. I mean, Thursday, you had the Bazingas trade that dominated the headlines. Um, Saturday morning, I woke up put on the uh, sports center like 36 hours before the super bowl before they're on location in atlanta or any of that shit man i wake up and the first two stories on sports centers paul george hitting for 10 threes on friday night and then they cut to the boston new york game at the garden where knicks fans are chanting for kyrie irving because they want him there this summer i feel like the nba they're not at the nfl level right now not certainly not the mainstream but coverage wise and shit I kind of felt like the NFL got at least semi-dominated by the NBA this past week. Well, yeah. I mean, people love trades. Fans love trades, and um, it, it certainly helps. Look, I mean, this this was not a trade between, 
you know, the Utah Jazz and the Cleveland Cavaliers, man. All right. I mean, this was this was New York and this was their best player. And, you know, it was done with a clear vision towards adding two premium players in the offseason. So there were a lot of moving parts, you know, to the trade that that put the NBA center stage this week. And hey, I mean, that's just that's just what a good league does, you know. And it's not like they went and tried to grab the headlines. It's just they kind of grabbed the headlines by virtue of being an outside the box type of type of league. There was a great tweet uh, and I have no idea who it was. I think it was Jeremy White who retweeted it that said, like, you know, fake quoted a uh, NHL GM saying, boy, we could really use some help on our third line. But the salary cap, you know, makes it real difficult to make, you know, to make that trade happen. And then it's, you know, an NBA uh, GM after that. Our franchise player is uh, is is disinterested. Let's swing a six player uh, a six player trade over lunch. I mean, it's just it, it's the the NBA is set up, you know, to not be as restrictive as some of the other leagues are. As corny, you know, as some of the other leagues are, and you're going to grab more headlines when you allow you know, franchises and people and personalities to do the things that uh, that make sports fun. The NBA just gets it, man. They do. Silver just gets it. They do. And we'll have this debate, not a debate, we'll have this discussion another time. The big difference for me between the NBA and the NFL right now is the NFL is still very much an owners-driven league, whereas the NBA, it seems like the superstar players kind of, they kind of run the league. Antonio or Anthony Davis, he's going to force a trade. He wants out, he's going to get traded. A lot of these superstar players, they, they're going to go where they want. You can't tag them. You know what I mean? If Kyrie Irving wants to leave Boston, he might sacrifice some money to do so. But at the end of the day, you can't stop him from leaving Boston this summer. If he wants to go to New York, if he wants to go to L.A., ditto for Toronto with Kyrie Leonard. You know what? It's going to make for a fun summer, which, again, I mean, a sport probably wants to be year-round grabbing the headlines. In a sport like basketball, they do because they can control where they go fully between free agency. And then it seems more and more of these superstar players, they want out and they're gone. Pozingas went in the office apparently last Thursday morning, said he wanted to trade two hours later. He's a Dallas Maverick. That shit ain't happening in the NFL. You know what I mean? Sure. Nah, man. Um, that's absolutely correct. And, uh, well, it was good. It was good. Good that some other sport was out there doing something this week. Cause the Super Bowl. Hoopla is just not all that interesting to me. And uh, baseball, my God, you, you would think baseball would have, if somebody would have said to you, who can grab some headlines during Super Bowl media week, you would think that it could uh, be Machado and, and Harper going somewhere. And then, and, you know, they that still stays totally quiet we're, as yo, well. So we're taping this Monday. Okay. So maybe something happens by the time people listen on Tuesday morning. But you stole, I mean, are you absolutely stunned right now? It's February 4th, bro. Harper and Machado, neither of them are signed. Neither of them. Why is that? Why do you think that's happening this late? Oh, I just think everybody's getting lowballed right now, man. Same as with J.D. Martinez last year. I think the, the luxury tax has teams, you know, has changed the, the, the landscape a little bit. And whereas contracts were, you know, starting to, starting to go through the roof a couple years ago, all of a sudden that's changed. Uh, a, a guy like uh, uh, a guy like Harper and Machado, who probably were looking at 
$200 million contracts the last time, you know, a, a, a monster one was signed and, and the way that it was trending are now probably looking at, you know, 150s or so. So I think that's my theory. I don't ex- understand it much with the luxury tax, but from, from what I read, it's changed the game a little bit. Let's switch gears, talk a little Buffalo Sabres here. They're really struggling lately. I mean, obviously, they're putting in doubt at this point their prospects of making the playoffs, which really sucks because it was such a promising first couple of months of the season. That lopsided loss to Chicago last Friday, on a scale of 1 to 10, how angry does that make you looking back? Because, you know, this is a team, like I said, that has struggled. They come home. They start a seven-game homestand. Opening up against a team that, sure, they've been pretty hot lately, but overall, Chicago's kind of stunk this year, and they just got their asses banked Friday night in front of their home crowd. Yeah, I mean, infuriating versus deflating. Um, I'd say it was more deflating for me. I I don't know. The Sabres, they can still piss me off pretty good. I I guess I just kind of came to the realization that they are at, at minimum uh, another year away. And I'm, I very much am do something Jason guy, but I almost think it's a, it's a little bit late now. I mean, you knew going into the season that the, the big hole was probably on the second line, you know, somewhere in that middle, middle six, you know, uh, second and second and third line being able to provide a little bit of punch and it's played out as as most people would expect it would. Uh, Sabak and, and Berglund were a decent enough swing to try to to try to move Middlestad along at a, at a comfortable pace, you know, for a kid his age. But you know, uh, Berglund and Sabaka both ended up totally uh, not getting the job done. One left, and the other one, you know, even though he gets pretty good ice time doesn't do anything offensively. So they uh, they are sorely lacking a number two center right now until Middlestack gets to gets to that level. And um, and they just can't overcome it. Now, I don't I don't know that much will change, you know, between now and the trade deadline, maybe shaking up the lines a little bit. Maybe that's what should have been done. But uh, Still, you know, for me, the second best center, your second best option at center on this team uh, to get your goals is Evan Rodriguez. And uh, they just don't really use him there enough. Housley, I mean, go ahead. I'll pass it back to you. Well, you know, but I just don't like Phil Housley. I just don't. Before I get to Housley, and absolutely, I certainly will. There are other factors. The goaltending has not been good, particularly Carter Hutton has not played that well of late. There were concerns about him coming in, being a full-time number one, and I don't know. I kind of feel like those uh, those questions were very well raised because he has not played well much at all lately. But anyway, beyond that, the biggest problem with this team right now, or in fact, for the entire season, has been their secondary scoring. It's just been awful. You take that top line of Eichel, Skinner, Reinhardt, they've played excellent this year. But you got to break them up because nobody else is getting any scoring anywhere. I looked at the stats for the season, and so far, no other forward. Reinhardt's the third best scorer on that top line. No other forward has even half the points that he does because they're just not scoring. So now Eichel's playing with Doc Poso and Sherry, and I think Skinner's playing with Middlestad and Palmers, and Reinhardt was with uh, C.J. Smith and Rodriguez on practice 
Monday that Phil Housley's doing different line combinations. At this point, I don't know. I have to ask this question. It's probably not a popular question because we kind of went through it with Dan Bleisman too. Do you think at this stage that it's at least possible, considering how good they played early on and how much they're struggling now, that maybe in that locker room, that that message that Phil Housley is trying to send the team, that it's already getting stale? Do you think that's becoming an issue? It might be, but that's, you know, that would be like the third straight coach or something like that, that that's happened with. I, you know, I, if Housley's message is going stale in the locker room, then I'm going to start to get a little annoyed with the likes of uh, Jack Eichel, Sam Reinhardt, and, and others who can't seem to, you know, listen to what they're being told by a coach. So it's kind of a, you know, it's a little bit of a catch 22 for me, as much as I think Housley is a part of the problem, you know, are these are these kids listening to anybody right now? I, I mean, can can anybody get through to you know to this group? I don't know. I was listening to Gr doing the uh, the daycare drop off today, and and they got into that a little bit. And I don't know what the answer is, but I uh, I still remain confident in Botterill. I think he's a, a a good GM. I think he is a decent you know talent evaluator, talent finder. And uh, I think he's been around winning. I think he's, uh, you know, a sponge. I think he's a real smart guy who's paid attention to how it gets done the right way. And he'll get there. And it's just very disappointing that we weren't able to parlay that 10-game winning streak uh, into some some playoff hockey this year. That's, you know, that's, that's. Makes it sting, you know. If if this was all spread out a little bit more, you know what I mean. If it if that had never happened, you know, not like that never happened, but we still like sucked like we did after it happened. But rather, those ten wins were spread out a little bit more, and this is just kind of where we were, even with a lot of the line and player deficiencies being what they are. I think it would sting a little bit less. This one stings because of that streak and what we all felt uh, was happening. And uh, it turns out that it's not happening at least yet. I'll tell you, for me, over the next couple of weeks, the most, I mean, everyone wants the Sabres to make the playoffs, obviously. However, if they don't, I think you could sell this fan base on they're still young and they still need another year. You know, we got off to a really good start and maybe the expectations got higher than they should have been. This is a team, it's still a work in progress. I think you could sell your fan base on that if they miss out on the playoffs this year. And you'll be fine going into the summer. You got three first-round picks. You know, you got young guys who are going to improve. A couple guys on Rochester that, you know, are on the verge of, of making it up to Buffalo. But here's the biggest thing for me personally. I think it is absolutely critical that they get Jeff Skinner a huge contract extension and they do it before this deadline. I can't imagine the outrage from fans and media that'll come if this organization can't get it done for some reason and they're forced to trade this guy at the deadline or keep him and then lose him for nothing when free agency starts in early July. You know what I'm saying? I feel like this is a must move. It feels like if you can't get Jeff Skinner to stay here, what are you saying about your team? He waived his no trade to come here. And if you can't extend him and he ends up going somewhere else, what does that say? about your organization, about your franchise. I think the fans are going to absolutely lose their shit at this organization if they if they can't sign him. Can you remember a Sabres player in a contract year where re-signing him was as critical as it is right now with Jeff Skinner? No, I mean, you know, 
I'm sure they're out there. They've sucked for so long. I can't remember anything. You know, Maybe Briere, Drury back, you know, back, back when. But beyond that, I can't think of anyone. I, I just feel like they need this guy locked up. He's their best player. Well, Eichel's their best player. He's their second best player right now. He's their best winger. If you lose him, I think you're going to have a big time revolt from the fans. I really do. I just, I don't think it'll necessarily last long. All right. That's, that's what I'll say. Um, I think they need to do it as well. I think they will do it. But I also think if by chance, if by chance they don't do it uh, or, you know, they're not willing to pay Skinner, you know, the money that he's asking for or the money that he's asking for just becomes not smart to pay. I mean, if this, if this kid, for some reason or another, let's say he's got an agent that thinks, you know, the the market for wingers is, is going to be up or should be up, or he should be getting more than Jack Eichel. Then I, then I think Bottero would be right to say, all right, we're going to pass. My point to that though, is I, I think in a, in the very unlikely scenario that it happens, uh, I think once free agency rolls around, there'll be a big swing for like an Artemi Panarin or, or something like that. Um, or, or a lesser swing for like a Mark Stone, that fills that void. Like it doesn't, it doesn't, that, that void is gonna, is, is gonna get filled. It's not going to be left if Jeff Skinner is not around, but I, I do think he'll be around. I do think the fans will need it. And I, I, I think Botterill, you know, knows enough to, to make that happen. We got just under three weeks to go before the NHL trade deadline. I still feel like we got a little bit more time before we need to get focused and locked in on that. But like I did say earlier, the Sabres did start a seven-game homestand off to a horrible start, losing at home, getting blown out at home by Chicago. Six more games left. I feel like minimum, they better go like 4-1-1 one, and one over these next six to stay in it. What are you thinking? Uh, you know, everybody said they wanted 10 points out of the seven-game homestand. I was one of them. All right. I was actually okay with nine. Give me 4-2-1. and one. I'll take 4-2-1. and one. But you know how this shit goes, man. They'll fucking, they'll get six points, but because Columbus had a, a rough stretch, you know, everybody will still be kind of, you know, uh, uh, they're, they're, they're still in the conversation or whatever. It's, it's not just what you do with your games. It's what the other teams do with theirs. And they can have a very mediocre, unless they unless they lose like, you know, five of the seven or something like that, you know, they could have a... a you know, a fifty percent point gain uh, over the over the seven games. Only grab like like I said, six or seven points. But uh, if they're still within four or five of the final playoff spot, nobody's going to write them off. So uh, the whole idea of going in saying eh, they need ten of these of these possible fourteen points, or that's going to be it. No, it's not. We're going to be sitting there at the end of these seven games, looking at the next three on the road, you know, conjuring up a number that they're going to have to get for those. It's, you know, that's, that's, a, that's, that's, that's how a, it is. It's a very fair point, And you are right, because, you know, for all the talk about the Sabres free falling and all that shit, at the end of the day, when people are going to wake up and hear this on Tuesday morning, they're only three points behind Columbus for a playoff spot. And there's still 31 more games left to play, too, so... Season's far from over. No one's But they can't afford a slump, though. Dude, I know, but this team, the way it is, they can't afford to go on a slump. I'm not saying they need to win every game, but they can't be going, they can't be having a stretch where over eight games, you know, they they go two and six. It's lights out if that happens. That part, that part is is 100% correct. Before I get to the puck drop, I have my, let me ask you a question here. 
off topic. I have my finger right now on the buy tickets button. Patty LaBelle is coming to Sarasota on Friday night. Should I buy these tickets, dude? They are $92 each still. So a hundred out of your fucking eight, mind. 184 no, bucks. Spending, it's Patty no. LaBelle though. I don't care. That dude, Where's... you're that's a that's a no that quick. Yeah, it's absolutely Dude, no I'm my own new attitude. If you asked me to, dude, she had some pretty good jams back in the day. I don't care. That is too much money. <laughs> All right. Hey, you about. work at Chase. What what event are you working at, Chase? Cats. Yeah, I mean, it's not good. It's, it's I'm I'm battling a late season uh knee injury flare up here from the basketball season. So I gotta go right from like a five o'clock tip off in Chitawaga right to Shays after that. And I'm just normally I wouldn't care. It's nice to get out of the house and whatnot, but I'm 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 worried about the knee. Actually this knee, you might have to edit this part out. This knee might become a work injury tonight, just so just so <laughs> that's, that's, I think there's a good chance that's what's gonna happen. <laughs> All right, well fight through your knee injury. Give us a puck drop. What do you got for this week? Well, you know, I talked about this on Twitter. It's something that's very near and dear to my heart because, uh, actually, no, I may have put this on Facebook, but I, I really feel like, you know, it, it, since we're not doing any '80s music, I'm gonna I'm gonna get into it myself. I, I feel like the, the the band Human League, all right, is far too known for its song "Don't You Want Me." Like, I think if you if you talk about the Human League with people. Everybody remembers Don't You Want Me and and that's and that's the song. Sure. And I feel like people are really missing the boat on the song Fascination. So I encourage everybody, <laughs> all right? I encourage everybody to get on your, you know, get on your 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 Spotify, whatever you have. Listen to the song Fascination by Human League and uh, let's get that in its in its proper place atop the Human League rankings. Um, where it belongs. Great song. It's a great song, uh, and it belongs. You know, they they need to be known for that song more so than "Don't You Want Me." I can't agree with that at all. I don't hate the song. No, that's "Don't You Want Me" is Michael Jordan. Fascination is Scottie Pippen. I don't agree with you, but it, it is a good song. Now you got me, you motherfucker, because I wasn't going to talk any 80s shit. Now you got me looking. Don't you want me is, is Michael Jordan. Fascination is Scottie Pippen. <laughs> I don't think those songs could ever be, a reference of those songs could ever be, there could ever be a more obscure Michael Jordan, Scotty Pippen <laughs> reference than two fucking Human League songs. <laughs> I'm looking right now, 1984, best music year ever. Kyra Chameleon was number one on the Billboard charts 35 years ago, right now as we talk. Spent three weeks on top. Was that a jam of yours back in the day? Loved it. Absolutely. I mean, Culture Club killed it. Culture Club was fantastic. Dude, someday down the road, we're going to have an entire podcast about the year 1984 with music. Best year ever for music not even close either i'm gonna end with a shout out to new york islanders goalie and i'm not joking here former Sabres goalie robin leonard i mean really nice story developing for him in new york i didn't realize it until i saw the stats as we taped this monday but did you know this he's leading the nhl in both goals against average and save percentage did you know that i i obviously i knew that the islanders were having a uh, a turnaround year under barry trotz and a lot of it was 
was good defensively speaking. Um, but I had no idea that, that Leonard had those type of numbers. Yeah, me neither. I mean, it's a hell of a comeback for a dude who really struggled in Buffalo between the pipes and was suffering, of course, we learned later on from mental health problems. Again, we were unaware of that at the time. So it's great to see him playing hockey the way Tim Murray envisioned him when he once traded a first-round draft pick to get him. Got anyone you want to give a shout-out to? No. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. All right, that'll do it for this episode. Big thank you again to Mike Rodak from ESPN for doing the podcast. Mike does a fantastic job covering the Bills for ESPN. He's done so for six years, calls it right down the middle. One of my favorite Buffalo Bills reporters. Tells it just like it is when it comes to that team. Doesn't play cheerleader, doesn't necessarily hate the team. Completely unbiased reporting, love that about him. So thanks again, Mike. Thanks as well to my buddy Tone Pucks. Reunited for a little pat with Pucks. That's always a good time. Guys, if you haven't done so already, I invite you to subscribe to this podcast. It's quick. It's easy. It's completely free. The benefit of being a subscriber is that once you do subscribe, new episodes automatically get sent directly to your phone or computer within just minutes of the release. I usually have a new show every Tuesday and Friday. When you subscribe, you get them before everyone else. If you have an iPhone or an iPad, all you got to do is pull that bad boy out, open up that Apple Podcast app, type in Moranalytics Podcast under search, hit the subscribe button, bam, literally, that's it. That's all you got to do. Bonus points if you want to leave a nice five-star rating or review. If uh, iPhones or iPads are not your thing, or if you just prefer to get your podcast elsewhere, you can hit us up on Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter for updates, news, takes, God knows what else. You can do that by following me at Pat Moran Tweets. Have a nice, safe rest of the week. Be productive. Have fun. Talk to you guys again on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.